Good morning. Uh, I want to start off with a story. For those of you who are older and you went to college, do you remember what you were like in college? For me, I was a little bit on the crazy side, just being honest with you. I, I had an earring in each ear. I had long hair in the front, and I wore overalls. Not very manly. <laughs> but I was kind of crazy. And, and really, I, I, was, I was crazy about Jesus. I, for the life of me, I couldn't, I couldn't understand why anyone would not want to become a Christian in, in light of heaven and, and hell and eternity and judgment. And then Jesus gives this irresistible invitation to eternal life. I'm, I'm like, why in the world would anyone reject that? So you know what I did is I conveyed all those thoughts on a piece of paper. And then I, I printed a lot of those uh, pieces of paper. And then I decided to put that piece of paper, I called it a newsletter, all over my dorm. On the bulletin board, in the bathroom, in the stall, in the back of the bathroom stall, so that you would definitely have a captive audience, you know? So I was a little bit on the crazy side back then, and I don't know if you know this. Some of you are like, no. What you're looking at now is actually the tamer version. So I, I did that. Then the next day I went to class, and I was, I was coming back from class, walking down my hall. And when I made it to my, um, my, my door, I noticed that someone had left me like a gift. Now, what I thought, what I decided to do on the newsletter is I was thinking, you know, this is inspirational stuff. People are going to have like a response. And so I'm going to put my name and my number and my dorm number on the newsletter, right? I'm like, Sean left me a gift, you know, aw, right? And so it was, um, it was very neatly attached with scotch tape, and so I took off the scotch tape, and I unwrapped the, the gift with the wrapping paper, and then I realized, oh, uh, the wrapping paper is my newsletter. And the gift, um, it was a, a bloody tampon. And uh, actually, I was so innocent, I didn't know what it was. I'm like, it, it's a used tea bag, you know? <laughs> I, I didn't know what it was, right? And so I was looking at this thing, I was all touching it and dangle it, and then suddenly I realized what it was, and I was like, oh, I, I guess they didn't like my newsletter. And then I, and I looked at it again, and I was like, I think they hated my newsletter. I don't think they like my newsletter at all. And I was shocked, a little bit on the shock side. And I started thinking, did I do it wrong? Maybe I did it wrong. Now, uh, I, I want to say that back then, I, I, I was kind of crazy, and um, I'm not the same guy in a way. Like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't get a lot of bloody tampons these days. I just, I just don't. I don't know about you guys. I just don't. You know, people give me much better gifts, you know? And nowadays, I'm not as obnoxious 
I'm not as insensitive, contrary to what my wife says. I'm not that insensitive, you know. Um, I'm more tame. And that's a good thing that I'm not so insensitive, right? I'm reading the scripture today, and there's a part of me that goes, I don't know if that's a good thing. Like, okay, yeah, I'm not as insensitive as I used to be, but am I as bold as I used to be? Did I lose something? Did I lose a courage step somewhere in the line? I, I, I looked at this scripture that we're going into today, and it's almost like Peter is saying, you know, sometimes you got to receive the bloody tampon for Christ. And if you do, and if you ever write this down, please quote me in context. If you do, it's a good thing. In fact, that bloody tampon might be a badge of honor. That's not what we aim for. But if you're living by the Spirit, you're going to get some bloody tampons. And if you do, you're blessed. That's where we're going today. Okay, I don't have a scripture reader. I am the scripture reader, okay? We're going to, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to uh, uh, try as hard as I can to faithfully teach God's Word. And then after I do it, I'm going to look at you all and say, are you tracking? And then that would be your moment to just nod your head vigorously, right? We can practice because it's going to happen in like 20 minutes. Are you tracking? Okay, thank you. And, and then we're going to ask the question, so what? What's the meaning of this? Well, how does this apply to our community? And, uh, uh, and, and then we'll go there when we get there, okay? So, so first, First uh, Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, we're going to faithfully teach the Word of God. Okay, here it goes. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Let me do the next one, too, and I'll, I'll go back and cover it. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. All right, um, in these, uh, these couple of verses, I think Peter is saying, don't be surprised. Can you guys uh, repeat that after me? I think it's kind of the main point of these couple of verses. Don't be surprised. The, the positive way of saying that is you should expect this to happen. Expect what? Fiery trials. Well, why? Why should we expect fiery trials to happen? Some of you are in a fiery trial right now. We should expect this to happen, according to Peter, because they come to test you. And that testing is absolutely necessary. Now, what I'd like to do is um, I'm, I'm going to try to illustrate this, hopefully in a way where you won't forget it. By the way, if you like this, I'll let you know I, I stole it from another pastor. All my good stuff I've, is stolen. Okay, here we go. Um, we're going to put First Peter and what he's talking about on this whiteboard. Actually, we're going to put it on a curve. All right? Now, uh, on this curve... At the beginning of it, we're going to put an X, and this is when a person becomes a Christian. And maybe you've been there before. When you first become a Christian, all these great things are happening to you. You know, you're in church, and you feel the presence of God, and you go to the shopping mall, and God gives you the best parking, and you're like, woohoo! 
right? You're praying things, God's answering prayer. You're like, it's so great to be a Christian, and you're telling your friends about Jesus. And when all that happens, it's right about here. You're like on the top of a hill. But then, inevitably, this always happens. You go through a dip. You go on this down curve, right? And let's say some of you like are right here. And what's going on is you can't really, you don't understand. You're at church and you're not feeling it, you know? And you are praying for someone and then they pass away. And you've been praying for this girl you really like or this guy you really like. And then they dump you. And then, and then your friends start to reject you. The friends that you were sharing faith with. And you're just like, what is going on? Now, now people who are normally here, they want to go back up here where everything was great. Or they're in denial, but they want to go, go back. Or they just want to get off the curve entirely. Like, can I go here or before here? I just want to get off the curve. Now, imagine Peter saying to all of us, if this is happening to you, and by the way, it's going to happen to you, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised. This sort of stuff has to happen to test your faith. It's got to happen to test your faith. Now, what happens is if you ride the curve, you're expecting things once you say, okay, Lord, I submit to this, I entrust myself to you. You're expecting things to go and get better all like automatically, instantaneously, but they don't. It could actually get worse. But Peter says, don't be surprised, you know, at the fiery ordeal that's happening to you because this must come to test your faith so that when Christ comes in his glory, his glory will be revealed. God is testing your faith to make you a stronger Christian. It's so that your faith can be stronger. It's so that you can be more and more like Jesus. But you gotta go through this part right here. It's absolutely necessary. I guess if you were to extract a principle from this, the principle would be on the journey to the crown, you gotta go through the cross. You just, you just gotta go through the cross. And in fact, if there's no cross, well, there's no crown. It's a principle. This is basic theology of suffering 101 stuff. And so Peter says, look, some of you are going through a fiery trial now. Don't be surprised. It's got to happen. This is how God makes us stronger. This is how God makes a person who wakes up in the morning and they're like, Lord, my life is short. I just want to glorify you with my short life. That's the process. It absolutely has to happen. And some of you are there right now. Verse 13 but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Uh, Peter seems to be saying, look, you have something to rejoice about right now. And it's almost like he's saying, you know why? 
Because later on, your best life is later on. When Jesus comes back, you're going to be crazy rejoicing. So when you're here, you can rejoice because you're looking forward to this. And that seems to be what uh, Peter is saying there. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter here is making a distinction. He is distinguishing between two kinds of suffering that happen by the hands of others. The first kind he calls suffering for being a Christian. It's being insulted because you bear the name. And imagine Peter saying, but there's a different kind of suffering, and the different kind of suffering is a suffering that happens as punishment because you did something you're not supposed to do. And that's, that's the, what the four, murder, stealing, evildoing, and meddling have in common. I don't know if there was actual cases of Christians doing, like murdering, but I think Peter is making a point. And the, the point that he is making is that these, this is the kind of suffering that you get for doing things you're not supposed to do. So let's just be clear. If you're going to be insulted, be insulted for the right reasons. Because you truly, truly bear the name of Christ. Uh, I, I, if it's okay with you, I'd like to tell a loosely related story. It's just a kind of fun story. Uh, Raina, my wife, once met a woman who was, was showing. And so she, um, you know, she was talking to this woman, and she very kindly said, how many months pregnant are you? And then the woman said, I'm not pregnant. She said, <clears throat> she said I'm, I'm, I'm wearing an Indian blouse. And you guys, you guys have seen the Indian blouses where they kind of come up in the stomach. And so she goes, I'm wearing an Indian blouse. I'm not pregnant. And then Reno's like, oh, the blouse, the blouse. Yes, what a blouse. Yes, the blouse, right? Now, I, I swoop in to kind of rescue her from this embarrassing moment. And I introduce myself. Yes, I'm her husband. Oh, what's your name? My name is Pastor Calvin. <clears throat> <laughs> and this is my wife, Terry. We have to go now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Um, <clears throat> now, now, here's the thing. When Raina meets a pregnant woman, you know, she learned her lesson. She will never mention anything about the pregnancy. You know, this woman could be nine months bursting pregnant, and Raina would be like, is there anything new with you going on? And she would say, well, I'm pregnant. Oh, you are. Look at that. I just saw that you are pregnant, right? Because she learned her lesson. She learned her lesson. No one likes to be unnecessarily offensive, right? And so I told you it was loosely related. Peter is here saying that if you're going to be offensive, be offensive for the right reasons, you know? If people are going to insult you, let them insult you because you bear the name of Christ. Now, verse 14. Verse 14. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. 
All right, now I want you to think about that. I, I consulted some commentaries. I'm not really sure I get the logic here. Like, is this causational? Is this more like it's more of a sign? I'm not really sure. But I think the best explanation I can give, it's like this. Peter is saying, look, if you live out your faith, then you are doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, you will be different. And some people will see that, and they'll be like, I want what you want. Uh, I want you what you have. And other people will see that, and they will be offended by that. They might even insult you. Now, if they insult you, you need to know, this is some of the stuff that just might happen to you if you have the Holy Spirit inside you. It's kind of an occupational hazard. It's there in the job description. And when you live by that Spirit, you just might get insulted, and that's what they did to Jesus And you can say, at that moment, I am sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. All right, let me try to explain this. Uh, I realize this scripture seems threatening. Now, I think if we unpack it, I think we'll realize that it is, but it also isn't. If you look in 1 Peter, uh, Peter develops two doctrines about God. There's God the Father, and there's God the Judge. There's God the Father, and there's God the judge. You see this. There's these two doctrines, and it's woven all throughout 1 Peter. Now, here's the thing. Americans don't like the second one. Americans like, no, 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 no. I love God the Father. Not too crazy about God the judge, right? We, we have problems reconciling both of them because we like one more than we like the other. Peter doesn't have that problem. Peter doesn't have that problem. And here, what we are seeing is God judging his own people, but he judges his own people as a loving father. So that means suffering comes to everyone, including God's people, but he doesn't use it in a punitive way. He uses it in a purifying way. He actually uses it to make you stronger. Now, now when Peter is uh, um, articulating this, then he sort of like, you know, he kind of turns on a dime And he goes, well, I mean, just reason with Peter. He's like, look, if God uses suffering, even for his people, then, uh, and it stands to reason that if he uses it in a purifying way, he must also use it in a, a punitive way. And for people who don't obey, suffering is being used in a punitive way. So I don't know, how do we feel about that? How do we respond to that? I just wonder if there's people who don't believe or You've never made a a confession or put your trust in Jesus. And this is one more compelling reason why you should. Suffering comes to all of us. But if you are in the hands of God as his child, he's going to use it to purify you. So since we're all going to go through it, why not receive it from the hands of a loving father who's using it for your good? And so there is an invitation there for you. 
Okay, remember I told you I was going to check in with you? Okay, uh, I, I think, I hope I faithfully explained the text. Are you all tracking with me? Thanks. That was good. I see you, Patrick. Thank you. Okay. All right, now, now, now we're going to go to the next part. The next part is this. So what? The next part is, what does this mean? Now i got to tell you, I knew there's a very prominent theme in 1 Peter. I, I knew it was there, suffering as a Christian. And even, be, even when we were thinking about going to 1 Peter, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if we can do this as a preacher because, because it's one of those, well, I'll explain why to you. I'll explain why this is a, such a big problem. I, I, was, uh, I was with one of my friends, and I'm like, hey, give me five minutes of your time because I, I really want to hear voices from the community. Just sit down. He's going to ask you a question. You just give, me, just give me what you got, okay? Five minutes of your time. How have you suffered as a Christian? Five minutes, go. My friend looks at me. She goes, I'm sorry, I got nothing for you, right? So it was like a 30-second conversation. I'm like, okay, that's cool, that's cool. It's all right, it's all right. I got backup. So I, I have access to this hardcore missionary, right? I'm thinking, hardcore missionary. Anybody got a story about suffering? The hardcore missionary. I'm like, five minutes of your time. Just want to ask you a question. How have you suffered as a Christian? Five minutes, go. Sorry, I don't have much for you. I'm like, really? So what do we, you, you read a text like that, you're like, I think most of us go, I haven't really suffered as a Christian. And so, like, I, I, was, I was like, what am I going to talk about when we talk about so, I should just talk about the warriors. Maybe even want to talk about the warriors, because maybe this doesn't relate. Or maybe it does relate. Think about this. When I was in seminary, I learned this really cool trick. Right? And that's not a trick. It's more a principle. This is what my professors taught me. When you are reading the scripture, and you read a scripture where you feel like, wow, this doesn't relate to me. This is what you do. This is what you do. You look at the context. You extract the principle. Then you bring that principle into this modern context, and you apply that principle in this modern, and then you have something called an application that really sticks. All right? Here we have the scripture. Suffering as a Christian. Let's try it. So what's the context? Well, the context is that the people of this time were being insulted. It's right there in the text. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ. Okay, they were being insulted. So I just want you to imagine, like, uh, uh, there's, there's non-believers, and it's a religious holiday, and they're all gathered to do, like, worship to the emperor, Okay? And then one guy is looking around, he got the religious festivities, and they notice that there's certain people who are not there, which is crazy. Because, like, you know, when you go to a ball game, everyone stands up for the national anthem. We remember Javier's message from a couple weeks, right? So, like, why aren't these people these people? And then someone's like, yeah, 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 these people. You know what they call these people, those people? It's interesting. Back then, non-believers would call Christians pagans. It, there's sort of kind of an irony because they're, they're at this religious holiday and the Christians are not there, right? And then, you know, someone goes, I know we should call them. They're, they're called people of the way, you know, the, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and at some point, some funny guy in Acts 11 is like, I know what to call them. I know what to call these people. Let's call them little Christs, right? You know what little Christ? It's Christian. Christian means little. 
little Christ. It's like calling a, a Buddhist like a little Buddha, right? Right? It was kind of meant to like mock and be offensive. I mean, they didn't know that Christians would be like, oh, we love that, we're going to take that. You know, we, they didn't know that it was supposed to be like pejorative. So, so here they are, and they're insulting uh, Christians. Now, when you are insulted, what does that mean? What's the principle? What's the principle? The principle is that you are saying something to another person. You are treating them in a way that disrespects them. It socially downgrades them. It makes them lose reputation. All right, that's the principle. Now, let me just ask you, when was the last time as a Christian you were socially downgraded because you bear the name of Christ? Let me ask you, when was the last time you lost some reputation because you're a Christian? You lost some respect. Maybe with your friends, maybe with your family, maybe with your coworkers. When was the last time that happened? Can we just be really uh, honest? Can we just be really honest? In our day and in our context in the Bay Area, there's not a lot of love and respect for Christians. It's just, it's just true. It's just not there. I mean, I think that's why, like, on my son's birthday over the pizza that I paid for and during the QSR event that I, well, Rain and I paid for, it was really hard for me to say a blessing of grace over the pizza because, you know, Ryan was there with all his friends and I'm, I don't know. It's just like, I'm, I'm just like, hey, if we all pray, I'm afraid they're going to be looking at me like, you, you know? And then, then I imagine the moms who were there in the room just be like, don't be proselytizing my son. You know, I just, I felt, I just felt like, like you're not supposed to do that. I think in the Bay Area, the feeling is like, you know, hey, it's fine if you're a Christian. That's fine, you know, for you. But just keep your, your beliefs to yourself. Don't go pushing that down on other people. Like keep the Jesus stuff to yourself. And others actually are offended that you're a Christian. And when they hear that you're a Christian, they're thinking, oh, you're one of them. They're not going to say that, but in their minds, it might be like, you're one of them. You're narrow-minded, bigoted, self-righteous, hypocritical people. You're, you're one of them Republicans. You must love Donald Trump, you know? You must, you know? And so you just, you don't want to be labeled. And so you keep your Christianity to yourself and you go silent. You become a silent Christian. Uh, one of our leaders was telling me uh, this story. You probably figured out who it was, so I'll just tell you his name. It Gordon, Gordon, I called up Gordon. I said, Gordon, do you have a story? He said, I got a story for you. Okay. They were commemorating a recent crop, and uh, this past season, has been, rain's been really good, so it was a really good crop. And then the vin vineyard manager, who's about like 90 years old, is like dedicating the season's crop. You know, it's in front of, of a lot of the leaders, a lot of the bosses, a lot of the managers. And so he just starts breaking out like into like a prayer of blessing over the crop and he dedicates the crop in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, the executive team, they meet after this and there's a woman on the team and she's speaking to the team and she's like, 
can you, can you believe what, you know, so-and-so said? Like, he's going, he's going senile. Like, does he actually believe in a holy ghost, you know? And so there's Gordon, like, sitting at the table, right? And, and, uh, and he's thinking, well, actually, I, I believe in the Holy Ghost, right? So Gordon, you can imagine, I can totally see Gordon doing that. He, he, he's, like, he's, like, going to clarify. He's, like, actually, it's not, well, actually, it's Holy Spirit. It's, it's Christians who believe in a Holy Spirit. And so when you say Holy Ghost, it's, it's Holy Spirit. Now, if we just freeze frame that right there, what just happened right there for Gordon? I am actually predicting that one of two things happened. Either Gordon said, actually, you know, it's not the Holy Ghost. It's, it, well, it is Holy, it's the Holy Spirit. Either this woman said, you know, Christians are not so senile after all because I have major respect for Gordon. He's a Christian. That could have happened, right? And knowing Gordon, that might just have happened. But it could have gone another way. Which is like, oh, you're one of them, right? You're kind of in the senile category. And, uh, and so I, by speaking up, Gordon was probably socially downgraded. And I imagine Peter going, Gordon, you know what you are? You are blessed. You are blessed. In that moment when you were, might have been socially downgraded, you just shared in the suffering of Jesus. Wow. Wow. And that can happen sometimes to a person who has the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I, I came up with eight things that you can do as a devout Christian that just might get you insulted, but are worth doing anyways. I'm sure I could have phrased that better. I know. Uh, why don't you look in your outline? Eight things that you could do as a Christian that just might get you insulted. Uh, I, I know that we're not into lists, so I'm not going to go and name all eight. You can read. I, I, can, I, can, I can type and you can read. I'm just going to go through several. Because if we're asking the question, so what? Okay, well, how about, how about these? How about this? Okay, number one. How about telling other people that you're a Christian? Right? It, maybe you don't want to, like mention you go to church or that you read the Bible or wear a cross. Maybe you don't want to. Because you feel like people will put you in a box. Well, I mean, until you actually say you're a Christian, then you have an opportunity to help that person redefine that box. And you know, maybe that person will come and join you in that box. But you got you to gotta let them know. How about this one? Praying before your meals. Um, when you go out with some friends who don't believe, do you ever just, like, pray for your meal? Now, can we just admit sometimes it's a little bit awkward? Because, you know, it's not like, hey, guys, I'm going to pray. You don't need to do that, right? You just pray. You, you, you close your eyes. You bow your heads. And sometimes they're not looking. And so they might ask you a question right after you start praying. And then they look at you, oh, sorry. And then you feel awkward, they feel awkward, you're trying not to think about the awkwardness, and then you open your eyes and there's that moment of acknowledgement that is a little bit awkward, and then, I don't know, I don't want to do that. Maybe at that moment you get socially downgraded a little bit. Maybe. And if you do, I imagine uh, Peter saying, you know something, you are blessed, you are blessed. I remember this one parent saying to me that her daughter said that it's embarrassing to pray right before the meal, so what she will do is she'll pretend that she dropped something on the ground. 
And then as she, and she, you know, Lord, thank you for the minimum, 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 and then she, and she's good. Um, if people socially downgrade us because we pray and give God glory before the meal, then actually you are blessed. You are blessed. How about number six? How about number six? How about number six? Uh, I, I dare you in a very um, pastoral, loving way to tell your, 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 the, the coach of your kids that you guys will not be coming to any games on Sunday because that is the day for God, for family, and for church. Now, I'm pretty sure that when it comes to games on Saturday, the coach is going to give your kid less time because you weren't there on the Sundays. You know what happened? You just been downgraded and you are blessed. Peter says, You're blessed. You're blessed. When my father in law became a Christian, he stopped playing golf on Sundays so he could go to church. And so, in doing so, he had to step down from, the, uh, from leading the golf team. And so, when he went to catch up with his golf buddies, he explained to them why he's no longer there on Sundays. And they said, Hey, when you go to church, say a prayer for us. But they meant it in a mocking way, you know. And my dad always remembered that. I think of my home group leader who is refusing to work on Sundays. And he told his boss that Sundays are for God, for family, and for church. And he has had to have some hits on his status for that as a worker. Uh, I'd like to close with a, a story shared to me by one of the members of our church. She works in healthcare, uh, so she was telling me that um, she has this conviction that that well, all of us. I mean, if you're a Christian, we share this conviction. But this conviction that God has called her to bear the name, and life is short. And so, but but here's the thing: she was told. Do not share Jesus at work. That's just, it's not appropriate. And she would have these verses on her cubicle, and they made her take it down. And one of her coworkers uh, kind of, kind of like mocks her, like will say little comments when she's around, like hallelujah, ha, 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 or like bless you, ha, 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 you know, and she notices. And I say, well, you know, it sounds like it's, it's not very friendly to be, uh, to be a devout Christian in your workplace? And she says, yeah. And I said, well, does that ever make you feel like you want to like back down and just kind, of, just kind of cower a bit, you know, just kind of do things to be a little bit more acceptable? She said, no. She said, God has called me to bear the name and life is short. Okay, that's cool. Two weeks ago, she had a new client, 71-year-old man walks into her, her practice. And he says, you know, before, before we do anything, you should know I just had surgery and I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so she says, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. And she says, you know, none of us know when we're going to pass away. None of us know. I mean, you read the newspaper, the stuff that's happened in London, the stuff that's happened in Portland. She's like, we, we had a, a member of our church by the name of Sharon, and she would, lived an incredible life, and she passed away. None of us know when our time is going to come. So 
I'm like, okay, this is my time to be bold. She says, but there's a heaven and there's a hell. And there's one way to heaven. Oh, so you have the keys to heaven, huh? No, no, I don't, I don't have the keys. Jesus Christ has the keys. And then she shares the gospel. How Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And if we receive his sacrifice by faith, then we're going to be united with God for eternity. The, the best life is still yet to come. And so, just the boldness, she goes, do you want to receive Jesus? He says, i got to think about that. So, he goes on to the second part of the exam, comes back. And just when he's about to leave, he says, I want to take you up on that offer. And so... She does like this catechism. I haven't heard that done before, but I, I love the idea. She's like, I'm going to ask you some questions. Do you believe you just say yes, right? And she's like, you know, do you believe in, that Jesus is the son of the living God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross and has forgiven you of your sins? Yes. Do you receive him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Well, then you're a Christian. And then she prays for him. Now, you have the Holy Spirit resting inside you. And when you live out your faith, you are going to be different. And there will be people who are like offended and they might insult you. And if that happens, you're blessed. But there will also be people who will see that faith and say, I want what you got. And then you will also be blessed. Let's pray. Father, I, I uh, thank you that your words are powerful and relevant, and even when we feel like, oh, I, don't re- I can't really relate, there's still a word for us. Father, I, I do pray for everyone here who has been socially downgraded in any way, that they would see that in a new way, to not be someone who hides, or not to be a silent Christian but to be someone who lives in the fullness of their faith by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I do pray, Father, that if we are insulted, if we are socially downgraded, we will stand and glorify the name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We're talking about being socially downgraded. We're talking about being, uh, having your reputation crushed. We're talking about the way of the cross. And then we remember that Jesus and his body, he was crushed. He was crushed for us. If your reputation is ever going to be crushed, you must always remember Jesus was crushed first. And it's the way of the cross. The journey towards the crown is through the cross. And we must first always celebrate that Jesus and his body was crushed for us. And then his blood was spilt. And his blood was shed to forgive our sins. And so we always remember what Jesus did on that cross. His body was crushed. His blood was shed. His death has given us life. And so we celebrate that as often as we can coming here to the Lord's Supper. We're going to form two lines. We're going to take the bread. We're going to dip it in the juice. 
We're going to remember his sacrifice and remember that the power for life comes from remembering Jesus on the cross. I'm going to pray, and then you and the worship team is invited to come up, and then uh, we're going to invite you to come down and receive the Lord's Supper. Once you take the elements, you exit on the sides. Pray with me. Father, uh, I, I, I thank you that your son was crushed so that we could be whole. Uh, he, he, um, he was uh, uh, squeezed out. His reputation was downgraded. Um, he, he, was a sh- he was shamed so that we could stand with you in honor. We could stand with you in life. We could stand with you and uh, enjoy his ultimate reputation. And I pray that as people come down to receive the Lord's Supper, that this would be a transforming moment. It would be a refreshing moment that your Holy Spirit would be just anointing this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.